0: Baptist Church in Cortland, Virginia, I would ask that you would turn to Hebrews, the twelfth chapter. <clears throat> I want to thank Landmark Baptist Church for imitation once again. Y'all are long-suffering, gotten for punishment, or I don't—I'm not sure why it is, but here I am again. So, uh, anyway, we count it a good thing. Uh, Brother Paul, you can call me dead, would, but I appreciate the fact you called me to preach and uh I appreciate more that the fact that the Lord called me to preach that's that's what's really precious and uh, uh but I appreciate even more that he called me to salvation that's that's everything so. well, you're kind. <laughs> hang around me for a while, and you might <laughs> my uh subject here. Uh, he had, uh, Brother Prater had one that to be announced. Mine has already been announced. It's accepting correction. as may not be the, uh, something that you want here. Uh, but, uh, it's what I've been assigned. And that's where we'll go. If you turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we will get there in just a moment. Uh, well, perhaps maybe I'll just start reading there and then go back and and catch us up to where we are in the second verse of the 12th chapter. It says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and fain in your minds, you have not yet resisted unto blood, blood striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons." For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he, speaking of God, of course, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Our Heavenly Father, we do come before you tonight. Lord, we look to you for our su- sufficiency. We are not able to bring anything out that should be brought out the way it should be brought out, but you're sufficient for all things. So we come to you. And Lord, we depend on upon you. You've said you would, and we're coming in dependence upon that. Bless these. Glorify your Son. And Lord, edify the body. And all may be done to your honor and glory. That's in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we do pray. I brought you to Hebrews because of this passage here, but also I want you to know in Hebrews, I want you to think about uh, the whole book of Hebrews, the epistle right here. We know it's addressed, who it's addressed to, because in the third chapter it says, holy brethren, brethren partakers of the heavenly calling. So it's Addressed to them there and throughout the Epistle of Hebrews, there's exhortations, exhortations to these holy brothers, uh, partakers of the heavenly calling. He's exhorting us to, and time and time again, says, "Let us go on." You know, any of you, if you've arrived, this is not for you. If you haven't arrived yet, and I suspect maybe you haven't, you know, I have biblical reason to believe maybe you haven't quite arrived yet. Then this is for you. Let us go on. Uh, He uses a word. The writer in the epistle uses a term several times. To perfection. That means to completion. To maturity. You know he wanted to bring us on. That's his goal right there. In the second chapter he says the goal there of Christ. And what he's doing is to bring many sons into glory. Are you interested in that? I hope you have a deep interest in that altogether. And what the writer of the epistle does is set before us Christ. He's set before us as the object of our faith. He set before us in the second verse as a supreme example of faith. And then the whole book also sets Christ before us as that to which we are to be conformed to, to the image of Christ. All these things is Christ. Everything is Christ. I appreciate the messages that went before, and I appreciate what you said. Christ is everything, and whatever there is, I don't care what it is, if it doesn't point towards Christ, you've got a bad weather vane. It's, it's faulty. Everything, everything's supposed to point towards Christ. He should be all in and in all. <clears throat> In this epistle, our uh, Jesus Christ is both Lord and He is messenger. God, who at sundry times in diverse and divers manners in time past spoken us through the prophets, and all has in these last days spoken to us through His Son. So that's that's Hebrews. I want you to see that right there. Early on, we would see Christ work for us as He took on flesh and blood and He come and identified Himself. Uh, with us and then he went to the cross as us In our place instead and hung there and died in our place instead We see Christ work for us That's our salvation But here in my text I want you to see it's Christ work, working in us And he didn't just work for us and save us But he's working in us and through us And it's all to the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Here we see a grace that few of us Really appreciate how most of us don't want this Christian grace. It's a grace of being corrected, of chastisement. But the Lord, as a faithful and loving Father, does that for us. And if you don't know anything about chastisement, you know, you're in bad shape, friends. You're in bad shapes. It, it, just follow what the scripture says right there. It's not pretty. It's a good thing. Chastisement. Correction. We all need it. And so he goes on here. The reason why we all need it is because there's something wrong in our Christian life, our doctrine or our walk. There's something perverse about us. There's something lacking, And so the Lord comes in out of love and he corrects us. He gets us back on the right path. He sets us straight. He turns our face away from other things and sets us looking straight towards his beloved son. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's great desire is that we would have his best. That we would be blessed. That we would share in his glory. And all this would glorify him. So that's all here. Well, how does the Lord chastise us? How does he correct us? What is the normal way he uses? The normal way is he uses somebody to come. And they'll give you a word in season. Or maybe they'll just ask you a question. What do you think about this? Or what do you mean by that? Sometimes it's open and harsh rebuke. That happens sometimes, and it's needful sometimes. And sometimes it's just a pleading with us. Oh, can't you see? will you not look? But the Lord sends people. That's the general way he does that. You can see that all through the Old Testament. When David did wrong, he sent prophets to him. You know, earlier, the Lord sent Abigail to correct David. He was about to do something awful but the Lord sent him a good messenger and David humbled himself under that later Joab went to him when David won a number of the children of Israel and he wouldn't hear Joab and he suffered the consequences the Lord had sent him somebody and he had to repent of that but David was one when he was brought face to face with his, with his sins he fell on his face and repented quickly that is our pattern friends That is what we need to learn to do. He was a man after God's own heart there. So when the Lord does send us somebody, how should we receive it? Well, that's the question. We are received these things as coming from the Lord. If the Lord sends it to us, he means our best. Receive it as such. As the one who loved us enough to send his own son. Go to Romans 8.32, you know. I'm, I'm not asking you to turn there. Go there in your mind. You know what it is. God, having sent His Son, will He not with Him also freely give us all things? I mean, you have evidence before you that He loves you. He loves you, and He wants what's best for you. So receive this. Be like the Bereans when the Apostle Paul preached to them. They received what he preached gladly, and then they went search the scriptures to see whether it were so or not. All, all, everybody that comes to you with words of correction, they may not all be spiritual. But you can safely go to your Lord and get on your knees and on your face and pray, Lord, show me, is this what you, did this come from you? Is this what I should be receiving from you? <clears throat> I forgot to write down the author of this, so y'all forgive me, but I was reading in some of this, and it says, one said, we do not want to neglect legitimate criticism. We must always take our critics seriously in the sense that we must consider that they may be right. If they are, we should listen to them. Then listen to them and be thankful for them. Then in humility, we may do what is appropriate to make the corrections. If God has sent us somebody, be glad God cares enough to send you somebody. If the criticism is valid, praise God for his love and his correction. The Proverbs are full of instructions to us to do that. I, if you was to turn to Proverbs, uh, you don't have to, but if you want to, turn down a page back y'all cause I'll be back. Proverbs four thirteen says this: "This counsel on receiving instruction or correction from somebody else, take fast hold of instruction; let her not go; keep her, for she is thy life." You want life, you want spiritual life, then take fast hold if the Lord sends you somebody with instructions right there in chapter ten and verse seventeen it says this: he, he is a way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuses reproof ereth he'll get stronger in that. go to twelve one. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. You're just an animal. I mean, you know, that's what that's what it's saying. You know, if you was to go to some animal and you say, are you interested in a 401k, you just put back some of your food and maybe you'll have some later. They have absolutely no interest in it, do they? You know, they're not interested in, uh you know, suffering a little bit now so things will be better later. And that's what he's saying. Somebody won't receive instruction, won't receive correction. You're just like a brute beast. You know, he said, no, leave me alone. I'm happy right now. You know, we go to the dentist not because we enjoy the dentist, but because a little bit of wisdom tells us, you know, you got a cavity. Fix it now or it's going to hurt later. But anybody who won't receive instruction from the Lord, they're just asking for trouble down the road. Verse 15 of chapter 12, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. You see, time and time again, in chapter 19 and verse 20, it will tell you this. <clears throat> Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. You know, good counsel, good correction. It's not only good for the life that now is, but for the life that's to come. It'll do you good when you're standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. It would be good if you will take heed. And then the last one I'll give you in relation to that is the 29th chapter in the first verse. He that being often reproved, hardened of his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. If you just will not, if you just will not, if you just will not, let the Lord, or obey the Lord's correction. The Lord may do you like he told over, I believe it's in Hosea, about Ephraim. He says, Ephraim has given herself to idols. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. That's a worse thing than having you, God, just leave you alone. His chastisement is not near as bad as him just leaving you alone, friends. So, this correction is wise, it's profitable, both for this life and eternity. And so, we go back to our text, and verse 11 says, Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. No kidding. I never liked it when my daddy was going to get on to me. That's one of the things I dreaded the most in life. It wasn't pleasant. I'm glad he did now. I wasn't glad then. That's one thing I remember daddy saying. You'd have to know my dad to appreciate all this, the way he would say things, but he did say, uh, one time he said, son, watch a man that tells you he's head of his own household. He'll probably lie to you about other things too. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Who wants to be corrected? Careful when you say that because what my daddy's little proverb applies more to this than what it did the other. If you say you enjoy that, you're not only going against scripture, but you're going against practical things in life. We don't like to be corrected. Why not pride? That's just the bottom line. It's just pride. Who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? You know, you're setting yourself up over me. You're telling me I'm wrong? That's the natural reaction, is it not? Pride. But pride or be guarded against. Oh, we still have it. Just cause you're born again doesn't mean you're, you don't have pride. Uh, believe me, you might hide it. It's there. It's there. And other people can see it even if you can't when you look in the mirror. You may be proud of how humble you are. I don't know. But pride in any form is an abomination to the Lord and pride will keep you from accepting correction. Don't let the pride do that. Because here in verse 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seeming to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Afterward, it may not be joyous in, but afterward it, it, it brings that peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Allow God's. Chastening to have its proper work in your life. It will do you good. And it will glorify God. In the last of verse 10, it says that we might be partakers of his holiness. You see, his object in our life, now that we have been saved, is to conform us to the image of Christ. To make us like him. Now, if we need to be corrected in order to do that, then, Lord, correct us. Let's do it. Receive it. Receive it with gladness. Receive it knowing that the Father wants that in your life. Be glad that he wants that for you. That means you're his son. How precious. How precious a thing that is. Well, let me go on. By the way, before I leave that, let me say, if somebody does reprove you, before you get all bowed up, I can give you good counsel. Go and read Proverbs. It will give you good advice about receiving that. God's goal is that we might be partakers of his holiness. And that should be our goal if we're going to be those who chastise others. So I'm going to take the other side of it now. Those who would be. Correctors, those who would be the ones to uh, give reproof to others. If we are to be God's instruments in this great work of the growth of the Christian, of edification, of guidance, of correction, then the Bible is our guidebook about how we should do that. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, it says very simply, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, there's a qualification there. That doesn't mean simply that you're born again. That means far more than that. Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. There's a way in which we are to do these things. In the spirit of meekness, consider thyself. Lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, Are you willing to bear that burden with them or are you just going to go back and have slingshot evangelism? You know, you stand back here and shoot at them, but you're not willing to go along beside them and bear them up. Friends, one's legitimate and the other's not. One's being spiritual and the other's not. Consider thyself, ye that are spiritual, it says there. Most of the rebuke, reproof. Admonitions and corrections handed out to other Christians in our churches are done the wrong way with the wrong motives. Pride is a motivating thing in most of the corrections that you see out there. It is personal pride. Well, I can tell you where you're wrong. It's a wrong attitude altogether. It is absolutely wrong there. <clears throat> So it's pride, not meekness, would characterize the motive behind most of it. In Matthew, the 18th chapter, it gives us a pattern of what we should do. You know, if your brother has offended against you, what are you to do? Go to them one-on-one. Go and talk to them. And if he will hear you, you have gained your brother. What's your goal in this? Is it to bring them closer to the Lord or is it to show everybody that you are somebody? What is your goal? Do you have the same goal as what the Lord does when he chastens them? If they won't hear you, then take two or three. You see, you keep this thing down. You keep it under. You don't advertise it everywhere. And then if they won't hear the two or three, you take it to the church. And it doesn't go any farther than that then. You know, you don't tell the world. You, you're never to do that. And by the way, one-on-one allows one to hear the whole matter. We need to do that. Proverbs eighteen thirteen has some good counsel for us if we're going to be doing these things. Proverbs eighteen thirteen. I don't want to try to quote it because I'll misquote it. And it's important that we hear this. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. You ever start talking to somebody about problems and they won't give you the answer before you've ever really got the question out about what the problem is? It's foolishness. And they won't correct you. And you're standing there and saying, well, you haven't even heard the question yet. You don't even know what my problem is. The Lord says it's folly. And oftentimes we want to correct somebody and we assume that we know everything about that and we haven't gone and talked to them one on one and heard their side of these things. I don't want to spell it all out, but you all know what the world says assuming does to one? Y'all know that? Well, remember this. Balaam's donkey was used by God to correct Balaam but don't you assume you're going to be the second donkey the Lord has ever used to correct somebody hear the whole matter go and talk to them you can gain your brother but if you don't if you won't do this you can lose your brother forever you can do great harm friends and you will do great harm. The Bible's explicit about that in the 18th chapter of Proverbs again in verse 19 and 21. We're running out of time. We're not going to go there, but uh, ask yourself, what is your goal in this? What is your goal if you're going to be one to correct people? Is it to restore them to fellowship with Christ? Or is it to, so everybody will know that you're somebody? And by the way could I just say social media is not the place to do this If you're going to get on social media you compliment and build somebody up there But if you're going to correct them you do that one on one I'm telling you if you're on social media and I don't know much about Facebook but I know enough They won't allow me on there is yes, Facebook and I don't qualify But you know if you are on there there is such a thing as a private conversation that you can have that's where it belongs if you if you have the necessity to go talk to them about these things I think I could give most of you some pretty good counsel about Facebook Don't just just leave it alone because most of what's on there is not of the Lord Facebook itself is neutral. It's like anything else. It's how you use it. And that's why I'm telling most of you, don't. You know, because you're not using it to the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying all of us that way. I'm not, you know, if you're not guilty, but if you are guilty, take this. If you are inclined to offer correction, consider these things. Has God sent you to correct that one? Is this his chosen time for you to go and correct that one? Are you using the words that God has given you to correct that one at this time? Are you going in his name? Do you know what it means to go in His name? If you don't, don't go. You're not ready. Are you being led by His Spirit? And if you are being led by His Spirit, then you're bearing His likeness. You'll be going in meekness. You'll be going in love. You'll be going in kindness, in compassion. These things will uh, reveal themselves... In James, the third chapter in the 13th verse says, Who is a wise man and with knowledge among you? Let him show out of the good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, central, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every good work. But the wisdom that is from above, is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This is what we need to understand about these things. We need to bear his likeness when we go, and before you go, I ask that you consider one other thing here. In the, uh, James the third chapter in the first verse, it says, "My brethren, be ye not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, you won't be a master, you won't tell somebody else where they're wrong. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're asking for? Matthew 7, 1 will do much the same thing. Judge not that you be not judged for with what judgment? You judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet out. You meet, it shall be measured to you again. Friends, if these things don't call you to fear and tremble before you go, then don't go. You're not ready. God hasn't sent you if you don't fear these things then you're not prepared this is a delicate thing to take charge in your hands the discipline of God's dear children he counts them precious and we should too friends we have to so remember these things I got more proverbs for you you can ask me later I'm running out of time Now let's consider accepting criticism. How are we to accept criticism? We should accept whatever comes as coming from the Lord. And then like the Bereans, go and search whether he agrees with God's word or not. If it agrees with God's word, praise God that he has sent somebody to correct you. And then take that correction. Apply it in your life. You have gained. You have gained eternally. So accept that, whatever the criticism is, whether if it's a father in the home, mother father in the home, whether if it's a teacher at school, or if it's a pastor at church, or the church body, whatever. Criticism, don't. You know, don't draw back out of pride. That's the wrong thing. Receive it there. Consider it. <clears throat> and gain by it, knowing that this God is at work in your life. What a precious thing. God's at work in your life. However it comes, the question is to be be asked is, is it from God? It doesn't matter if a little child comes. A little child can have God's word. Sometimes he will do that to rile us up so that we stew only a little while. And then finally we start to say, well, you know, like Naaman. He stewed when the the prophet told him what to do. And finally his servant said, well, master, you know, he's, he's, he's just not being logical. You know, and finally he went and did. For his sake it was good that he had servants who would come and tell him this. And it will do you good. It will do you good. That's what I want you to hear. It will do you good. Correction is God's way, not only of doing that, but to bringing me to conforming me more and more to the image of Christ, and that we all need. Yes. That's His work in us, to His glory. Are you, are you delighted when He works in you? I'm not asking. Are you delighted when? <laughs> chastisement comes but are you delighted can you look past that and say well wait a minute God's works are always good everything in me that is commendable at all Christ put there now if there's ever going to be anything in me commendable it has to be his work in and through me thank you Lord for working Lord Uh, you're the potter I'm the clay on working thank you for your attention but consider these things i want to thank the two pastors who went on before tonight thank you for what your messages They were rich both of you